Let's pray. Father, we do uh, thank you once again for the opportunity to gather together, Lord. I think of coming together to study your word, coming together to share at the table, and how exciting it is, Lord, that we can do that. In spite of what's going on, in spite of the, the kind of confusion and, and chaos in our world, we can come in here, have that safe place, and have that place where we can meet with our God and grow in, our, in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. So Lord, I pray you would bless this time, especially as we look at this passage where, where Paul is, I think just like pouring out his heart to this group of believers in Ephesus who seem to be fragmented and, and divided. And, and Lord, I pray that as we read what's going on here, that it would impact our own lives for this generation, especially where we're at culturally right now in our country and things that are going on. Lord, impact this and, and, and God change our thinking so that we would be in line with you. So bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, years ago when we had a school here, uh, occasionally they would let me interact with the students, not very often. And when I would interact with them, I would always tell the kids, if you don't know the answer, write down Jesus. Because he is the answer to everything. And the teachers, and I said, there's no way a Christian teacher is going to mark Jesus wrong. So I was just trying to, I was trying to help them get through school. And uh, plus, that is the reality. And what's sad is, I think... As Christians, we don't always realize that. And oftentimes, I'm told that I get too simplistic and I make things too simple. I truly believe Jesus is the answer. I believe he's the answer for the things going on in our culture. I believe he's the answer for marriage problems. I believe he's the answer for financial problems. We could just go on and on. Now, having said that, that means you have to have a relationship with him. I'm not, I'm not just saying that, you know, as I told the students, you just write down Jesus and whoo, everything's going to be okay. You have to have that relationship. Now, here's an interesting thing to me. In the beginning of chapter 2, in the first uh, 9 or 10 verses, Paul is talking about who we are in Christ and that we've been redeemed, we've been saved, we've been changed by the power of God, and now he's gonna take all of that, when you think of all of that, and, and last week we talked about salvation's pretty glorious, right? I mean, if we're not excited about being saved, I don't know what you're gonna get excited about. And then having said that, now Paul is gonna talk about something that's very, very, very pertinent for us today, racism. Racism isn't new. It isn't something that just came up, you know, because of America and because of slavery and et cetera. Racism's been around for a long time, especially in the first century. The big thing about racism in the first century, though, it was mainly Jews against Gentiles and slave against free. But, but mostly what Paul's going to address here is that whole idea of Jews thinking they're up here and Gentiles are down here. Now, you could reverse that too. A lot of Gentiles thought they were up here and the Jews were down here. So there's this whole idea in the church. The church is coming together and there's this whole idea, oh, you're a Jew? What are you doing in our church? Don't you know we're in Ephesus? This is a Gentile church. Why don't you go find a Jew church? 
Now, listen, I'm being honest, and I'm not saying that's what I would do, but that's what's going on. And Paul is like, I think Paul, now remember, Paul's in prison. Here's the crazy thing. Paul is in prison for supposedly taking a Gentile past the wall that we're going to read about. Remember in Acts, they blamed him and said he crossed that barrier. By the way, that wall was real low. It was almost like they put the wall low like, come on, come on, come over. But Paul's in trouble for that. Now, listen, he's in prison in Rome, and he's writing these guys, and here's what kind of cracks me up. He doesn't go, hey, I know this firsthand. I'm sitting in prison. Here's what he's saying, and, and here's my simple thing of 11 through 21, 22. Jesus is the answer, guys. Stop it. Why are you doing this? Do you not understand who you are in Christ. Now again, he's explained that for 10 verses. Now he's gonna re-explain that and put it in the context of this whole idea of racism. And I said it a couple months ago before I got sick. Listen, the problem in the world is not skin. The problem in the world is sin. And we gotta deal with that. And as Christians, we can be the light in the darkness. We can change if we will walk the walk that Jesus has given us. So that was a kind of a long introduction. So again, in verse 10, he tells us who we are and what Christ, and that Christ has created us for good works. And then in verse 11, he says, therefore, drawing a conclusion of what he's been talking about, remember that you once Uh, He says, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope without God in the world. Now listen what he's doing. He says, here's who you were in the flesh. Here's who you were, not here's who you are. Here's who you were. And again, the problem with fallen man is that man is fallen, and we have these bickerings and hatred. We have alienation from one another. We have alienation, and the issue is alienation from God. When you're alienated from God, that is going to disrupt the way you look at everything and the way you... you, you process things. John Stott said it like this. John Stott's an almost old dead guy. So he might, he, I think he did pass away uh, last year. But John Stott wrote this. Because of alienation from God, our creator, and alienation from one another, our fellow creatures, he goes on to say that There is nothing more dehumanizing than this breakdown of the fundamental human relationships. When we alienate ourselves from God and when we alienate ourselves from each other, we're no longer who God created us to be. And he says, hey, you guys, you guys who are Gentiles in the flesh, listen, in the flesh and by the you were called uncircumcised by those who were circumcised. Do you remember God chose Israel? 
You may have an issue with that and stuff. Take it up with God. Just sit down and have a conversation with him. Talk to him about it. That's who he chose. And he didn't choose them because they were better. He didn't choose them because they were prettier. He didn't choose them. He chose them because actually they were the most funky. But hey, listen, he chose them. He put them together. But why did God do that? God did that so they could be a light to the world. He brought Israel together, gave them the old covenant, gave them everything, even gave them all of the ceremonial things, all the things they were supposed to do. Wasn't so that they could be good people and go to heaven. It was so that the world would look at them and go, wow, they have an awesome God. I want to know their God. That's why he brought them together. But here's what happens. Our sinful hearts begin to think, well, I'm a Jew, and you know God chose us, and he didn't choose you Gentiles. As a matter of fact, you Gentiles are nothing but cordwood for hell, you know, and, and you know, I, hey, that's the way they thought. And God, listen, they perverted everything that they were supposed to do. Now, we look at that, and we say, that's gross. Church, are we any better? Why are we still here? Why after God saved us, did he not just take us to heaven? Why are we still here? Here's the clue. We're supposed to be a light to the world. The world's supposed to look at us and say, wow, that is what God is like? And there shouldn't be bickering and fighting and gossip and backbiting. There, uh, there shouldn't be any sort of prejudice at all. And once again, we'll look at that in a little more detail in a minute. But he says, listen, man, the uncircumcised are looked down upon by the circumcised. And he goes, this is crazy. Now, he does say, look at who you were and I think this is an important thing. I think all of us need to do that. Verse 12, he says, at that time, so anybody who's not born again or, or you know, well, anybody who's not born again, if you're here or listening, here's what he says. You were or you are without Christ, you're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, you're strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, I read the last two and they kind of freak me out. I don't want to live hopelessly. My hope, my hope is in the resurrection. Not the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of me. My hope is in that. And when he says without God in the world, he's not meaning because, hey, the Gentiles, they had a lot of gods. When I was in India one time, I was sharing. I was with Danny Turner, and we're sharing, and... Uh, he asked, me to, he asked me to do a kind of an evangelistic thing out in the streets, and, and that's really not my comfort zone, but I said, okay, I'll do it. And I'm, I'm sharing and teaching, and, and uh, you know, I'm trying to convince him that Jesus is God. And I get done, and I thought I did pretty good. And Danny goes, you so blew it. I gotta fix this. And I go, what's wrong? He goes, they don't have a problem with adding another God. They don't have a problem with the idea that Jesus is God. They have like five million gods. It's not an issue. The issue is he is the only God. And see, sometimes we do things like that. And hey, those in the world that have a God, they're still without God in this world. 
They don't know the creator. They don't know the one who made them. I don't care, you know, I don't care what they call their deity or, or whatever. And that's what he's saying. Now, back it up to, to the beginning of this. He says, first of all, you're without Christ. When he means without Christ, remember the word Christ is Messiah. In other words, they were without the Messiah or the promise of the Messiah, which then made them hopeless because there's no Messiah. And then when he talks about, listen, when he talks about then, then they, they don't really have that connection. He says you're being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. He's not talking about so much that you're not part of the chosen. What he's talking about is, is you don't have that family. You don't have that connection. You don't have that closeness together. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that that they're, uh, they're also uh, they're, uh, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and promises. One person put it this way, another old dead guy, William Hendrickson. He said this, they were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. So here's what Paul says, you guys in the flesh... You were come against by the circumcised who called you uncircumcised, but here's the reality of who you were. And then, I love this, he says, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. You know what? It doesn't matter how far you went. Jesus can bring you close, and it's the blood of Christ. He's the one who's going to bring us. He's the one who shed his blood for us. So you and I need to understand something, man. I don't care what you've done. You know, sometimes people say, I've been really bad. I don't care how bad you've been. And then some people want to tell you, here's how bad I've been. I got this from Chuck Smith. Here's what he says. Do my ears look like garbage cans? I don't need all of that in there, right? I don't need that stuff in there. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. The blood of Jesus will bring you near. I don't care how far away you went. I don't care how distant you felt. I don't care what people told you. It doesn't matter. And I love the idea that, that Paul now, he's talking to Gentiles and he says, listen, man, he's brought you near. Now, that's again kind of talking about what, summing up what he said in 1 through 11, bringing that together. Now, he's going to talk about this whole idea of racism. He brought it up a little bit with the whole idea of the circumcised. And don't you love the so-called circumcised? I love the way he says that. I've been picking on you, the uncircumcised. And then he says, but you need to know you've been brought near by Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. You know, there's a lot of things that Jesus is or that God is. Have you ever thought about that Jesus is peace? Not the fact that he brings peace, which he does, but he is peace. I would imagine if we interviewed a lot of us in here, we would know there's that time, man, when the initial time when Jesus comes into your life and you experience that peace, that peace that first time that, that things are changing and then throughout our lives as we walk and we draw close to him. There's a horrible situation we might be involved in. You know, something that really rocked our world and we draw close to Jesus and what happens? There's that peace that surpasses understanding. People sometimes look at you and they say, how come, you be, how come you're calm right now? Well, it's not me, it's Jesus because he is peace. And I love that idea that, that Paul brings that up. Now, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking there was a little bit of clashing going on. 
Remember, Ephesus is a Gentile area. And I think this church was prominently Gentiles, but I think there's enough Jewish believers that they're coming in, and even today, something that bothers me today is you get around some people, and some people call themselves uh, Messianic Jews. I don't like that term. Because in that, they're implying that they're a little bit of a cut above, like, I'm just, you're just a regular Christian. I'm a Jew who got saved. Whoopie dingo for you. Sorry, but you know what? You're not better than me. You're not closer to God than me. You may have that bloodline and you may have that, but that does, and I think that's what was going on. And, and so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, guys, we shouldn't have this, this uppityness. We shouldn't have this looking down upon one another. We should understand something. Jesus is our peace. He's the one who changes. And then, and then he goes on, listen, he says, he says he's our peace who has made both one. Listen carefully. If you are in Christ, yeah, I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your social standing is. We are all one in Christ. And that needs to get deep in our hearts. We're one. We're gonna read in a little bit, we're part of a temple and even greater than that. We're part of a family. And I like to mention that every once in a while. Guys, we're family. And we need to know that. And, and listen, again, all of that is washed away when all of our ethnicity, all of those troubles, all of the bickering, all of the fighting, all of that stuff is gone in Christ. Why? He's our peace and he's made us one. And we should celebrate the church. Listen, the church should be the place that's celebrating in the world to let our world know in 2020 and all of the, the, the stuff going on Hey, we do not, listen carefully, we do not need more diversity. We need unity. And until we understand we need unity, we're gonna fight. And you know, hey, when we want to, when we want to lift up and applaud diversity, we're gonna fight. Because we're gonna make one another different. We need unity, and Jesus died to unify us. He died to make us one and come together. Oh, and then he, a little bit further, he's broken down the middle wall of separation. You know what cracks me up? I mean, I think if you know much about the Old Testament, you know about the wall. We just talked about the wall that Paul, Paul went over. I think it's pretty simple what he's talking about. Paul's talking about that wall that separated. A Gentile could go up to this point and you couldn't go any further. And he says, Jesus broke down that wall and there's no longer the wall of, of where the court of the Gentiles is and then the court of the Jews and then the court of the priests. All of that, even Jesus ripped the temple curtain, didn't he? He ripped it all down. Well, he didn't rip it down, but, but when he died, it's all gone. And he says, hey, there's no longer a separation between Jew and Gentile. That is gone. Now, again, you gotta think he's sitting in prison for the break it, going over the very thing that he says Jesus just broke down. Do you think maybe if someone got a hold of his letter, they'd go, see? He didn't respect that wall. Oh, and one more thing. Do you remember when Jesus cleansed the temple? Remember how angry he got? This is opinion, my personal opinion. I believe a lot of that anger 
was fired up because you know where all that trading and stuff was taking place? In the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles could only go to this one place to get close to the temple, and the Jews, the leadership of the Jews, had taken over that whole place. It's full of sheep dung, and, and, and it's full of you know, bird dung. All that trading is taking place, and so the Gentiles can't even get there. They have to stand even further back. So listen, man, that wall, he says that wall of separation is gone. Now, here's what I gotta ask us as Christians. Is your relationship with Jesus strong enough so that that wall in your heart called racism is broken down? If it's not, you've got some work to do. You gotta draw closer to him. You gotta, you gotta get real with Jesus. I don't think we can be real with one another till we're real with Jesus. And we sit down with Jesus and we say, you know what, Jesus? This is going on in my heart. Here's what I love about confessing to God. He already knows. Anything I've ever told God, he's never like communicated back to me. I'm so shocked, Pat. He's like, I already know and I'm glad you know. And I'm glad you're admitting it and I'm glad you're coming clean. And you and I have to come to that place in our own lives. Listen, we don't have those physical walls anymore. But we got walls in our hearts. And we gotta come to Jesus and we gotta say, listen, you made peace so that I don't have to be that person. I don't have to look that way. And that wall of separation gets torn down and then here's the best part. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh. So here's something to notice. First it was the blood of Jesus in, in verse 13. Now it's in his flesh. He abolished the enmity. That is the law of, the, of commandments contained in the ordinances or in the ceremony so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. I circled new man and I wrote above it in my Bible, or you can write beside it, one new race. There's this new race, it's called Christianity. And he made us new. And we're no longer, listen, we shouldn't identify so much. Now, I understand we're, we're, we're still in this body, but don't identify so much with your ethnicity or your race Identify with Christ. When we begin to understand that and we begin to come together as the body of Christ and as a new creation, isn't that what he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we're a new creation? And we understand we're a new race. He took the two that were fighting and, and at enmity with each other and he brought them together and he made a new race in him by his flesh, by his blood. Oh, let's read verse 16. And that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death enmity. In the church, there should be no enmity between us. I don't care if it's racial. I don't care if it's social. I don't care, you know, if it's even spiritual. Some of us think we're way more spiritual than other people. And that even stinks, right? Well, you should check out my spirituality. No, thank you. Jesus died to take care of all of that. 
Alienation between each other causes all that bickering and fighting and backstabbing and all of that. And here's what breaks my heart. It's in the church. Why? Here's my answer. Because we don't believe that Jesus took care of it. And we don't believe he's the answer. And we start buying into other systems and other things and looking at this and trying to do it ourselves. Saints, let Jesus get a hold of your heart. And let him transform you. Oh, here he says, man, he had polished it. First of all, he, he uh, brought us near him by his blood. Then he abolished it by his flesh. And here he says, it was through the cross that he destroyed all that enmity. You and I should celebrate one another. And we should, again, understand we're family. And I know some of us look at each other and go, oh, I'm not so sure I want you over. And hey, I'm coming for Thanksgiving. We're family. And he says, man, this is, well, he didn't say family yet. He's getting there. So verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Here's what Paul's trying to get across. He didn't take Gentiles and elevate them to the position of where the Jew was. And he didn't take the Jews and bring them, quote, down to the position. What did he do? He took both and changed them and made something new and something different. And until you and I understand, every person in here, look around, every person in here that's saved is just as saved as you are. You're not more saved. You're not better saved. Everyone, and, and we're all in this together. And if we begin to really implement that in our hearts, do you know we could solve what's going on in our country today? I believe that with all my heart. But instead, the church kind of sits back and looks at things and, well, you know, it's like, it's this issue and, man, I don't want to get involved in that and I want to look at that and I don't want to do that. And granted, some of it's ugly and not good to look at, but saints... We should be shining brightly. And we should be out there letting people know, hey, look at, we got a pretty, quote, diverse group here. And just think, we're gonna get together for Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, you're gonna come to my table tonight. When we begin to understand that, and listen, not just believe it here, but let it come down here. You see, I do believe Jesus is the answer. I believe it's that simple. I think we make, I, my personal opinion is we make life too, way too complex. Our life should boil down to how close can I get to Jesus? And when we begin to focus on that, we're changed. So Paul, listen, Paul says here that through him, both have access by one spirit to the Father. You see, there is nobody, quote, in a position, and, and I understand some of us are walking in a way that it would be good to go to that person for advice or prayer. I get that. But there's, listen, 
from God's perspective, he doesn't look at one person and go, oh man, you're one of my favorites. When, when I look on my iPad and I see your name, I hit the little star next to it. I'll do that for everybody. So man, we're the same. We all come to the Father. How do we come? Here's what I love. How do we come to the Father? By our good works? By our spirituality? What does he say? By the Spirit. The Spirit makes us people who are accepted in the Father. And again, when we believe that, that changes things. It doesn't matter again. It doesn't matter, you know, where you're coming from. The Spirit brings us. Oh, now it gets a little gooder. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Woo, yes. Now, when he's talking about, listen, some people, some people want to kind of get into this thing when he talks about, you know, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're, you're, you're fellow citizens with the saints. Some people want to say, well, the saints are the Jews. No, the saints are people who believe the promise of God and the promise of Messiah who's there. Old Testament, if you got saved in the Old Testament, listen carefully. I don't care, I don't care if you're, you know, we can go back to Adam. How did Adam get saved? And some of you go, I don't think he's saved. I kind of think he's saved. How do you get saved? By believing the promise of God in the Messiah. How did anybody in the Old Testament get saved? They didn't get saved by doing the things in the, in the in, I was going to say in the nursery. By doing the things in the, what did they call it? The temple. By doing things in the temple. Listen, he didn't get saved by that. They got saved by believing God. And they're saints. And he says, hey, you're no longer foreigners. You're no longer outsiders. Don't you kind of like that? I kind of like that. Hey, I'm from Bisbee. We get like accused of a lot of things, right? Even people from Bisbee are going to go to heaven. You're no longer, listen, you're no longer having to be on the outside looking in. And I love this. He says you're going to be citizens with the saints. And then you're going to be part of the household of God. Do you know what that means? Family, right? And we're together, and we need to look at one another that way. When we come in here to fellowship, and when we come and get ready to come to the Lord's table, we need to understand, man, we're part of the same family. And not only are we part of the same family, and he says you're part of the household of God. Oh, listen, verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So this, this family, this coming together, he says, how do we come together? We're built on the foundation of the, of the apostles and the prophets. What is he saying? Here's what he's saying. We're built on the foundation of the word of God. That's our foundation. That's where we begin. That's where we start. And you know, I mean, I, I've, I like the generation we live in. I like all of the stuff we have, the different media, social media, different things we have. And, and again, you've heard me say, man, we have an opportunity now. All day long, you can listen to good Bible teaching. You can, all day long, you can watch it. Now, YouTube, you can watch anybody. Everybody's on YouTube. If one thing this pandemic has caused is everybody to get a YouTube channel. <laughs> this like cracks me up. Some people go, have you checked out my YouTube channel? No. Why not? Because I don't want to. But everybody's doing it. And, and 
hey, that's a good thing, right? Because then it's archived and you can go and you can check things out and that's a good thing. But also, do you know how much bad teaching's out there? I watched some the other day, man, and it's bad for me to watch because I want to crawl through the screen and strangle people. But that's out there, but, and we need to know that, yes, that's out there, but we have an opportunity where we're at right now to know that our foundation here at Calvary Chapel Sierra Vista till either Jesus comes and gets me or we get raptured or you guys ask me to retire, I am going to teach the Bible over and over and over. That's our foundation. That's what we build on. If we build on anything else, it's sinking sand and it's gonna go away and we need to be strong and fervent. I was even talking with uh, uh, Pastor Rob earlier and, and he brought up the point of, you know, we were talking about there'll come a time where I do need to step aside. Probably when I'm 95. But there will come a time. And I want to be involved in who's going to take my place. Why? Because I want to make sure they're going to teach the Bible. They're not going to be me. They're not going to be a clone of me. Praise God, there's only one of me. But I want them to have the heart for the word. And that's the foundation, and, and we need to understand that. We need to grab a hold of that. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians here, he says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which was laid in Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter, therefore it is also contained in Scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. I guess I got a little ahead because he says, listen, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Continuing on in verse 20, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And, you know, again, what's funny to me is what people want to argue about, you know, the, the people who are, you know, the Greek scholars and the brainiacs and, you know, they do all the criticism and textual criticism and, you know, some of those things are good, but then they want to argue, is the chief cornerstone the stone you lay that you build everything on top of? Or is the chief cornerstone the last stone you put in that holds everything together? My answer is yes. Again, what are we doing that for? Bottom line, Jesus is, Jesus is both of those, isn't he? I mean, if you look at it, he's the one, that, he's the one that's gonna keep everything plumb and square as the building goes up, and he's the one that, when you put that last keystone in there, everything is held together. So, you know, I don't care which one you pick. It's like, seriously, man, I gotta read five pages to, you know, get to this? Stop it. Jesus is the answer. He is the chief cornerstone, and it comes together. Now, talking about, here's, here's Paul's mind, you know. He's like talking about that. He's talking about the household of God. Now he's talking about the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the chief cornerstone being Jesus, and his mind just starts going. So look at where he goes with you and I. Verse 21, he's the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built. Oh, oh, we're not just the family of God. We're the temple of God. He's building this thing called the church. And the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus. And all the other rocks and stones, they're us. And we're being built and God is doing this work. And, and, and listen, some of us, we think we're just saved and we're just come cots for Christ and, and we're just gonna be there. He's building with you. You're a stone. You're part of this thing. And here's the crazy thing. According to Numbers, when they built the temple, they weren't supposed to hear hammers and chisels near the temple. They're supposed to do all that in a quarry and then bring it in quiet. And some people make a big deal out of the church. The church, by the way, is what Jesus is building and that's talking about the universal church around the world for all generations. And he's building this church. And you know what happens? I think, I think there's a little hammering and chiseling going on near this thing called the building the church. And I think it's you and I rubbing against each other and trying to get fit in that place. And God wants to fit you in a place. And guess what? He brings that exact person in your life to chisel away that place that's keeping you from... Going in, and that person comes along and going, I hate that person. I'm coming to eat a sin And God says, I'm using them in your life. And here's what we tell God I don't like it. And here's what God says I don't care. I'm changing you, I'm fixing you. And we're being built. Do you understand? You're part of something way bigger than you, you're part of something way bigger than this generation. God is doing this amazing work in the world and he's been doing it for millenniums and you and I get to be part of it? That should get you excited. You should be running out those doors right now just hollering. Telling people, woo, I'm part, I'm part of what God is doing in our world today. He placed you and me here right now at this time in this, some of us are living in this county. Some of us don't like it. That's tough. You're stuck here. If you're in the military, you're stuck here until they're done with you. But whatever, we're here, and you're here right now. Be used where you're at. And shine brightly. I say it almost every service. We can change the world. If 12 guys could do it, and look at those 12 guys. Come on, read about them. It's not like they were, you know, it's not, hey, they're not part of all the, you know, the icons we have and the statues we have where they have little halos and they walked around like this. They fought, they argued. What did they fight the most about? Think about what those guys fought the most about. Well, you know, I'm a little greater than you are because I'm John. Well, John, we know you lean against his chest and, you know, we know you're close with Jesus, but I'm the rock. Don't forget, I'm the rock. And then James chimes in, you know what, John and I, we're brothers. And we're gonna team up against the rest of you. And John and I are gonna have the best seats in heaven. And then my favorite is, Mom, would you go talk to Jesus for us? <laughs> I love that idea. It's like, seriously, you're grown men and you're asking your mom to go talk to Jesus? You get my point? The church has been this way, hey, we're gonna rub each other and it's gonna be difficult and it's gonna be hard. But we need to understand who we are. We're one in Christ. 
And when we become unified, and when we become a unified force glorifying Jesus, we are gonna change the face of the world. And if we start here in Little Cochise County, it can go out through the whole, listen, we could do, we'll just start, let's just start, let's just start on Wilcox Drive. Right? Let's just like shine bright. And let's go out, let's do Fry Boulevard. And let's go out a little bit further. Let's do the county. How about the state? How about the United States? Wouldn't it be great to see peace brought to our country? Wouldn't that be great? Let's do it. How about the world? Every time I think of that, I've shared before George Verwer, the guy who started Operation Mobilization. That was his plan. Like, like this guy's in New Jersey, and he says, God, just, just let me be used in this community. And then the next day, it's like, well, how about bigger than that? And then pretty soon it's the state, then pretty soon it's, it's the United States, and pretty soon it's the world, and God used them. Hey, if we get that vision, that's how God is gonna use us. But if our vision stays tiny, and we're not asking him to be using us in that way, and we're not understanding who we are in Christ, and we're not celebrating the fact that we're one and we're together, I don't, again, I don't care what color you are, I don't care what flavor you are, I don't care you know, what, what background you have, we're together in this. And let's celebrate that. So as we come to the table, Jesus is peace. Not peace the hippie way. I live through that. He's peace the real way. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that we do have this challenge in your word. And, and Lord, how great it is that we don't have to plan things. We don't have to strategize. I read this section, and number one, I'm blown away that here tonight, when our country is in such a, a, a so split and so divided and full of so much anger and bitterness, that we end up in this passage. I don't think it's by accident. And so here we are, speak to all of our hearts. Don't, Lord, please don't let us sit here tonight and think, man, I wish so-and-so was here. We're here. And we're here because you had something for us. And so let this penetrate deep within us. And God, I do pray that as we're getting ready to come to your table, God, we would understand that it was all of you. It took every bit of you to save us. And that as we celebrate that tonight, we could be people who rejoice in the fact that our God took us, who were far off, spiritually speaking, and you brought us near, and you knit our hearts together with people in this room. And here we are, we're one. And I pray that we would walk as one. As we drink from this cup and as we eat from this bread, that it would so impact us tonight of the unity that we have in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you can be seated. And as we get ready for Communion, I just want to read again from 1 Corinthians chapter 11.
Paul wrote, for I received from the Lord that which he also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant and my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. Paul instructing us when we come to the table, we need to examine ourselves. Listen, we need to come clean. And I, I'm kind of thinking after reading that passage, what a great opportunity we have tonight that as we come to the table, we make sure our hearts are clean. We make sure we're done away with anything, anything that could hinder our relationship with our God and our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. So if there's some prejudice going on in there, if there's some racism going on in there, don't skip communion. Get rid of that, put it on the floor, and come and enjoy fellowship with Jesus through the bread and through the cup. Come to the place where, where you're with him and united with him. That's what it's all about. So man, we wanna encourage you to do that. We want people to enjoy fellowship with him. Now, having said that, if you're here tonight and you're not born again, and by that, here's what I mean. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life. You've never asked him to forgive your sins and to guide and direct you. If you have not done that, we wanna encourage you tonight, do that. Right now where you're sitting, let Jesus know that you know you're a sinner and ask him to forgive your sins and ask him to come into your life and then take communion, enjoy fellowship. I think it would be awesome. I always get excited when I do this invitation because I think there's some out there that need this invitation. And the first thing you would do after you're saved is take communion. Whoo, that is great.